This is a Reconstructionist radio production. Please visit GaryNorth.com slash free books to download this book in PDF format. By This Standard The Authority of God's Law Today by Greg L. Bonson Published by the Institute for Christian Economics, Tyler, Texas Copyright 1985 Chapter 27 Church and State Quote it is in fact impossible not to have some religious presuppositions whenever a lawmaker takes a stand one way or another on an issue, end quote. We have observed that a distinctively Christian position with respect to law and politics will call for a promoting the comprehensive gospel advocated by the Reformed faith, a gospel which has political implications because Christ has established God's kingdom with its influence in every area of life, and now rules as king of kings over all mankind. True believers pray that God's kingdom will more and more come to expression through history, and that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Study of scripture has shown that God's will for public justice and politics has been revealed in the permanent standards of God's law. Therefore, Christians ought to work to persuade others of their obligation to the commandments of God, including the civil magistrate of his duty to enforce the penal sanctions of God's law against criminal activity in society. Without God's law, the Christian may take an interest in politics, but he has nothing to contribute in the way of concrete guidance that could not just as well be contributed by autonomous social wisdom. God's law is the key, then, to the Christian attitude toward socio-political morality. A complaint which is often heard in our secularized society, and even heard from Christians who have succumbed to the pressures of secularization, is that we cannot recognize God's law as the standard for political morality because of the separation of church and state. We need to explore this complaint from many angles in order to see just how weak it is. The Separation in the Old Testament First of all, there are people who reject God's law as the standard for present-day political ethics, because they believe that the Old Testament social arrangement did not, as we do today, recognize any separation of church and state. The thought seems to be this. Since the Mosaic Law was intended for a situation wherein church and state were merged, those commandments would be ethically inappropriate for a different situation like ours, where church and state are separated. This line of thought may be common, but it is invalid nonetheless. We can begin by taking note of the fact that the Old Testament surely did recognize many kinds of separation between the cultic religions and civil political aspects of life. Kings were not priests in Old Testament Israel, and priests were not civil leaders, as in the pagan cultures around Israel. Indeed, when a king like Uzziah presumed to take upon himself the religious tasks of a priest, he was struck with leprosy from God for daring to break down the recognized separation of church and state. 2 Chronicles chapter 26 verses 16 through 21. There was a clear difference between the office and prerogatives of Moses and Aaron between those of Nehemiah and Ezra. The Old Testament social arrangement did not then merge the religious cult and the civil administration. We read that Jehoshaphat set the chief priest over the people in all the king's matters, 2 Chronicles 19.11. A functional separation between king and priest, both answerable to God, was known and followed. Thus kings and priests had different houses, different officers, different treasuries, different regulations, and different forms of discipline to impose. The alleged merger of church and state in the Old Testament is simply based on the little familiarity with Old Testament realities as presented in Scripture. 
Recently, it has been suggested by one Old Testament seminary instructor that the membership of the Old Testament Jewish state was coextensive with that of the Old Testament Jewish church. For he claims, circumcision and participation in the Passover were required of all citizens in Israel. Despite prima facie force to this suggestion, we will find it acceptable only if we neglect to read the actual biblical account of the Old Testament social situation. As a matter of fact, there were indeed citizens of Israel, members of the state, who were not circumcised, bearing the mark of belonging to the covenant community, namely the women. But even more importantly, there were men in Israel who enjoyed the privileges and protections of citizenship, and yet who were not members of the church, who were not circumcised and did not partake of the redemptive meal of Passover. These were the sojourners in Israel. They had the same law, Leviticus 24:22, the same privileges, Leviticus 19, 33, and 34, as native Israelite. But unless they were willing to undergo circumcision and join the religious community, they did not take Passover. Exodus 12, 43, verse 45, and 48. In many ways, this parallels the situation today. All men live under the same laws and privileges in our state, but only those who assume the covenant sign, baptism in the New Testament, would be members of the church and free to take the Lord's Supper, the redemptive meal. Even at this level, we do not find a situation in ancient Israel that is altogether different from our own. Church and state were not merged in any obvious way in Old Testament times. Of course, there were many unique aspects to the situation enjoyed by the Old Testament Israelites. In many ways, their social arrangement was not what ours is today. And the extraordinary character of Old Testament Israel may very well have pertained to some aspect of the relation between religious cult and civil rule in the Old Testament. Nevertheless, we will search in vain to find any indication in the scripture that the validity of the Mosaic law for society somehow depended upon any of these extraordinary features of the Old Testament social arrangement. Despite the uniqueness of Israel, its law code was held forth as a model for other nations to imitate. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verses 6 through 8. What was not extraordinary or unique was the justice embodied in the law of God. Its validity was universal, applying even to nations which did not in every respect parallel the social or church-state situation in Israel. Consequently, even if we were to point out that today our social arrangement differs somewhat from that of Old Testament Israel's, we would not thereby be justified in concluding that the law revealed to Israel is not morally valid for our present-day society. Whatever the precise church-state relation was in Israel, the law revealed to Israel ought to be obeyed even by societies which have a slightly different church-state relation today. A consideration of the separation of church and state, or lack thereof, in Old Testament Israel does not, then, invalidate the authority of the Old Testament law for current American society. Christ taught that we should render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. Matthew 22:21. There is a difference between Caesar and God, to be sure, and we must obey both with that distinction in mind. And yet, while we owe obedience to the powers that be, Romans 13, verses 1 and 2, the civil magistrate owes allegiance to God's revealed will, for he is the minister of God, Romans 13, 4. To admit that the church is separate from the state is not the same as saying that the state is separated from obligation to God himself and his rule. Both church and state, as separate institutions with separate functions, i.e. the church mercifully ministers the gospel, while the state justly ministers public's law by the sword, swerve under the authority of God, the creator, sustainer, king, and judge of all mankind in all aspects of their lives. Different senses of this separation. 
When people today speak of their commitment to the separation of church and state, we need to realize that this commitment can be taken or interpreted in many ways. Quote, I believe in the separation of church and state, end quote, may be the answer to one or more logically distinct questions. For instance, we might ask whether the church should dominate the state, for example, the pope dictating to kings, or the state should dominate the church, for example, Congress dictating church policy. And the answer might very well be that we should hold to the separation of church and state, namely that neither institution should dominate the other. We should have a free church and a free state. A second question might be whether the state should establish one denomination over others as the state church, or tax the population for financial support of the ministers of one particular church or denomination. And the answer again might very well be that we should hold to the separation of church and state, namely that all churches should be supported simply by voluntary offerings and one denomination should not be favored above others by the state. This, as a matter of historical fact, is what the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution laid down when it prohibited the establishment of religion. It did not prohibit the expression of religiously based views by politicians or their supporters, nor did it prohibit obedience to the Bible by public officials. It merely prohibited the establishment of one denomination as the state church. Finally, in recent days, it has come to be asked whether a distinctive religious system or revelation should be the standard for individual lawmakers as they determine public policy. In previous ages, people would have been wise enough to see through such a question, for it is in fact impossible not to have some religious presuppositions whenever a lawmaker takes a stand one way or another on an issue. The only question should be which religious beliefs ought to guide him, not whether religious beliefs should guide him. However, today, those who favor the pseudo-ideal of religious neutrality when it comes to politics tend to express their position as a commitment to the separation of church and state. By this, they mean the separation of morality, or religiously-based morality, from the state. They favor instead secular or autonomous laws in society. Those who believe that magistrates are bound to the law of God are mistakenly accused of violating the separation of church and state, which should mean the separation of two institutions and functions. Conclusion. We must be careful to understand how people are using their terms. The Christian who promotes obedience to the law of God within his society is not violating any biblical understanding of the separation of church and state. Indeed, it is hoped that believers would strongly advocate such a separation, meaning that neither institution should dominate the other in any official capacity, and that no denomination should be established as the state church. However, the Christian may very well be violating the separation of church and state when Secular humanism uses that as a catchphrase for religious neutrality in public policy. But at that point, our concern is not for loyalty to an ambiguous slogan, but for loyalty to the King of Kings. Quote, let God be true, though every man is a liar, end quote, Romans 3, 4. We must be faithful to Scripture's requirements, including the obligation of the civil magistrate to God's law, rather than to the popular dictates of our age. In short, quote, we must obey God rather than men, end quote. Acts chapter 5, verses 29. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce 
including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.